What's up, y'all? It's Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show on Social Suplex Podcast Network. You're listening to the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show. Listener discretion is advised at all times. again for downloading and listening to another episode of the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show, part of the Social Suplex Podcast Network. My name is Clive and I am joined by Ricky. Good evening to you, sir. How are you? Good evening. I'm tired. Um, recording slightly later tonight, but all for a good cause. All for a good cause. It is. Uh, it's one of the best causes it is because we've got the the Commander-in-Chief in with us tonight, Mr. Jeremy Donovan from Keeping It Strong Style. How are you, sir? Doing good, man. Glad to be back with my boys here in Scotland, Ricky and Clive. Ready for another fun show for you guys, man. Yep, some transatlantic banter, I think, if, that's, <laughs> if that is such a term. We are hoping to, at some point, get young boy Joshua Smith on. He's running a bit late tonight, so if he does come on, even if he doesn't, we're going to do the New Japan, adding the New Japan wrestlers to the 64 wrestler bracketology that we've got lined up. And from the messages that we were getting back and forth from Joshua last night, he's got a few things to say. <laughs> so <laughs> um, hopefully he doesn't keep it, keep us up too long uh, late in the night over here. But first of all, we're going to have a wee chat about power struggle, Rick, uh, power struggle, Ricky. You've got a few questions. I mean, obviously, when it comes to power struggle, if you want a full rundown, you want to go over to keeping it strong style, featuring our man here himself, Mister Donovan. The best, the ace of New Japan podcasts, the ace of podcasts in general. But <laughs> Ricky's got some specific questions about it. So, just so, um, put in a bit of context here. Every Tuesday morning, once I open up the laptop and sit down and start doing work, I, I am um, the first thing I do is I put headphones in and I listen to. Kiss, oh, keeping it strong style. I didn't do that this morning because I didn't want to. I didn't want to basically have their thoughts in my head when I'm asking these kind of questions. So I, I'll listen to that tomorrow. Uh, and I asked a question for the show last night. So just a couple of questions we've got for Jeremy. Obviously, is um, first one would be that I just want to dive straight into Jay White. In a bushy. Alright. It's kind of like a. I'm going to ask the question I asked you last night, but it's kind of like a two parter. Were you surprised that they put the briefcase on Jay White? And do you think it's a possibility that Jay White drops the briefcase between now and Wrestle Kingdom? I think for the first, first question, the reason I ask that is because. When the match was announced, I think we said it on this podcast, and I was like, uh, I don't, I can't wait for that match. But the impression that I was getting, it was almost like, remember the pay per view between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania? There would always be a WWE title match, and like, it could be like a really good match on paper, but we all knew, well, 
the champion's not losing the title here, but it's still going to be a good match. That's the kind of impression that I was getting. Just, just uh, like from my little knowledge I've got of New Japan, I was just like, you know, like it's going to be good, but no way does Ibushi win the G1 and then lose the briefcase because is that the first time that's happened? Yeah, so it's the first time since they've been doing the briefcase. I believe it's like sixteen, depends something like that. Uh, the first time the briefcase winner has lost the briefcase on the road to Wrestle Kingdom. Um, so as far as being surprised, yeah, I was very surprised that um, Jay ended up getting the briefcase. I thought that they were going to switch the U.S. briefcase and that Tanahashi was going to beat Kenta. And that way you you get your briefcase switch, but it's not the main briefcase. Um, but yeah, surprise, Kenta retained. And then, yeah, Jay getting the briefcase was very surprising, especially now we kind of see what the layout is for Wrestle Kingdom. And so, you know, I know you asked, you know, do I see Jay White losing the briefcase between now and Wrestle Kingdom? And I don't think so. So they have the press conference um, after Power Struggle kind of announcing the matches. So um, at the press conference, Naito challenged Ibushi for night one since Jay only wants to wrestle on night two and face uh, the champion. So... Naito had decided to challenge Ibushi, so on night one, it will be Naito and Ibushi for the titles, and then the winner will face Jay White on January 5th. Um, just looking at the schedule, so up next, we have um, a mix of World Tag League and Super Juniors, so um, you know Jay and Ibushi, a lot of those guys are not on those tours, um, and so we're not going to see those guys again until the end of December for the Road to Tokyo Dome tour. And they're probably not going to do any like briefcase switches on the road to Tokyo Dome. And with those matches kind of being announced, I think it's kind of set with Jay with the briefcase. But it, it's kind of weird because it, it felt like this whole thing of Koto Ibushi was going to be a redemption story, a redemption arc. You know, last year he lost um, both matches at the Dome on January 4th and 5th. He lost to Okada on night one, then lost to Jay White on night two. And then, you know, he's kind of been on a losing streak in the beginning of the year. They come back from COVID. Um, he's teaming with Tanahashi. They're the whole feud with tag titles and dangerous techers. And then G1 happens, has an awesome G1, wins the G1, you know, gets the G1 finals three years in a row, back-to-back winner. You think, all right, they're setting him up for a redemption arc. He's going to win, you know, both nights at Dome. He's going to leave Tokyo Dome with both titles. But now the way it's kind of set up, it kind of makes us feel like he's not going to get that redemption um, because night one he's facing – Naito, and you would think, well, that's kind of the big money match. Those guys haven't faced each other in a, about a year or so, and so that's kind of kind of a fresher matchup, and kind of that would be the great way to end the weekend with um, you know Bushi beating Naito on both titles. But now he's facing Naito on night one, and so it's kind of a hard picturing him beating Naito and then going into facing Jay, which this would be the fourth time they do Jay and Ibushi. And typically those domain events are pretty protected. Usually a year or two years, you don't see a matchup that would happen at the dome. Do you do you not think then it could be a possibility of Ibushi beating Naito on night one and then defeating Jay White on night two? And that would kind of contribute to the quote-unquote the... the, the um, the redemption storyline that yeah I won the G1 after all the struggles and Jay White took that moment away from me but I finally got upper hand on you and I came out on top because I've ended night two as the double champ do you think that's a possibility? 
I think they could do that. It just feels weird. I mean, I know that they're not drawing full capacity. They're going to be drawing 20,000 fans each night, but it's still, still a decent amount of people you have to draw. And just the fact that the fourth time in a row, a Jay Ibushi match, if they would put that in the second night of the Dome and expect that the draw, just, it just, it's not normal. I mean, they could definitely do it. Um, it just seems a little bit weird, especially you know, Jay White and Naito. That match hasn't happened in a while, and that could be kind of a more of a protected main event. And so you would think, oh, well, Naito gets past Ibushi, and then you do Naito, Jay White. Because Jay White's really been calling out Naito a lot and kind of seems to be brushing off Ibushi. But that could just all be a setup for Ibushi to get in there and, like you mentioned, kind of get that comeuppance on Jay, since Jay did cheat to beat him to get the briefcase. I would personally want to see Jay White and Naito because that was still to... We're in November now and it's still my match of the year from the January match. Jay White and Naito win. Mm-hmm. So the last kind of question I'll have about Jay White is um, so if we go with the assumption that obviously Naito will retain on night one do we see Jay White holding both titles at the end of night two do you think? I mean, it's a possibility. If you look at previous Wrestle Kingdoms, we've never really had a heel kind of end the night, and we never really ended with heat, with like a heel leaving with the championships. I mean, last year we did end with Kenta attacking Naito after uh, the Okada match, and we got the heat that way, but Naito still left with the belt. And you look back at previous Wrestle Kingdoms, it's usually, you know, Tanahashi or Okada uh, are the ones kind of ending the night, you know, big kind of feel-good moments, you know, the top ace, Bayface stars winning, walking off the title. So, I mean, Gato has done a lot of different stuff this year, um, kind of breaking a lot of trends. I know COVID's kind of messed up a lot of his plans. So, I mean, it, it would be just completely different thing for him to do, having, you know, Top Heel and Jay White leaving the Dome with both titles I mean, the, the safe money, the safe bet would be to say that Naito or Ibushi would leave that night with both titles. See, with how bizarre some of the booking has been this year, like Evil coming out of nowhere to win the titles and Jay White winning the briefcase, do you think it is at all possible that a triple threat will happen on the night too? Um, I mean, they really don't do a ton of triple threats in New Japan. Um, and I just feel like, especially at the, the biggest show of the year, I don't think they would end up like convoluting, do, like doing a draw or something that would lead into a triple threat. I think they're just going to go kind of a straight clean matches, have whoever wins, wins, and then winner will face Jay White. But then the thing is, then what happens to the loser, though? Because then one of those guys are going to be left out in the cold. It's like if Ibushi loses, okay, what does he do on night two? If Naito loses, what does he do on night two? Mm-hmm. And there's not yet yeah, much direction there. I. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was Kenta retaining the briefcase. Now, obviously, like when, when it comes to WWE, you've got like the, the full year they say to cash in the money in the bank. How do they get the title title off Moxley? Because obviously, like unless this whole COVID situation thing changes, do we see him at Wrestle Kingdom? potentially taking on Kenta or do you think they might need to strip him of the title like yes how I, I think that they're they're probably hopeful they can try to get Moxley into Japan so they've they've been getting a lot of their foreigners into Japan the last month or so for all these tours and so 
I mean, there is a possibility that Mox could make it in time for the quarantine. I know in December, AEW, they term, I know like Christmas week, they normally kind of give those guys off. And so, you know, that those last two weeks of December, you could do some pre-tape promos and stuff like that for Dynamite and Mox could go over to Japan in quarantine and potentially, you know, be ready for Tokyo Dome. I think one of the bigger issues is the fact that Mox is still the AEW world champion and, um, you know, typically would not want to have your world champion going to another promotion and losing um, losing a secondary title to a secondary kind of guy um, that kind of you know hurts the credibility of your champion. So I don't know how Tony Khan feels about that and if he'd be willing to send Mox over there to lose or if Mox went over there and still win because he's a champion, then you're still stuck with Mox with the title. So I'm not quite sure what they're going to do yet. It really just depends, yeah, if he's going to be able to get over or not. Because um, it, it looks like they're not going to allow Mox to defend in the U.S. But it might get to a point where they might just have to strip him um, of the title and just, you know, give it to Kenta. And then maybe down the line, once travel opens up, you, you can do the match. Because I'm, I'm just trying to look to see when the next AEW pay-per-view would be. Uh, that would be um, a that revolution. Yeah, February twenty-seventh. After, after, um, after Wrestle Kingdom, and that's obviously I'm assuming that's when Omega and Moxley will take place. Um, the other, th- the last thing I want to talk about Power Struggle was the the main event. Um. Just your thoughts on that match and whether you kind of felt that 33 minutes felt like a long, long time. Yeah, that that main event was a slog, especially it was the fourth time seeing Evil and Naito this year and a pretty, you know, short time span in a matter of months. And yeah, it was just a typical formula of, you know, ref bumps, interference, just an overabundance of cheating you had. Abushi, Jay White, Yudro, Dick Togo, Sonata, you had all these run-ins and yeah, I just, I'm just I'm not, I have not been a big fan of the Evil Naito matches. Um I mean the best part of the match was probably like the, the last like closing minutes there. Um you know, I totally was rolling my eyes when, you know, Naito hit the two destinos and they and they pulled the referee out of the ring and it just was going on and on, especially like you mentioned, yeah, 33 minutes. You know, if these matches were like 15 minutes, you know, 10 minutes and they do some quick interference and then have a, a good closing stretch, it'd be a lot better. But, you know, you could, like, lose, like, the first 10 minutes of the match and, like, it has really no impact on the story at all and you would still, you know, you'd end up having a better matchup. No, I would agree. I would agree. Um, and it kind of, that question about, like, talking about the length, of the match there was probably one or two matches on full gear that I felt the same way about um, which if he's want we can transition over to that mm-hmm. yep. in fact final question about Power Struggle because going into it I remember thinking to myself I was like there's like four matches on this card that I was like oh you like kind of rubbing your hands I was like really looking forward to watching them just your overall thoughts did it did it live up to like your expectations or was it a bit of a Certain was it a dampener or was it up and down? Um, so overall, I thought it was a good card. Um, it didn't quite reach you know the heights it probably could have reached. Um, I really enjoyed Shingo Suzuki, those guys just had a, another war. 
Um, but their match wasn't as good as their first matchup in Jingu Stadium. Uh, I really enjoyed Kenta and Tanahashi. Um, I enjoyed Jay and Bushi matches also as well. And I think the problem with Power Struggles is that there was a ton of rematches of stuff that we've seen a lot this year. So Jay White and Ibushi. Um, we just saw Kenta and Tanahashi in G1. Uh, this was the third Shingo and Suzuki match this year. Um, then we had like the goofy, you know, KOPW stuff with Yano and Saber, which was a rematch from G1. So it was just a show of a ton of rematches, which you normally don't get on, on a Power Struggle type show. Um, but I still thought it was a good show, and it definitely, you know, helped advance the scenes for Wrestle Kingdom 15. Yeah, I don't mind watching like some of this uh, two wrestlers having like matches several matches over a short period of time like like we said it felt like Asuka and uh, Sasha, Sasha Banks had about 100 matches over the summer <laughs> yeah. but it's like you know you would still be like well like I still enjoyed them like yeah I might be it's the same kind of stuff but like a good match when they still is still a good match um, like like I say it's my favourite match was um, Jay White and Abushi. Um I, I was like I say it's, I think overall like the card overall like I, I did enjoy it um, like you say, there's one or two things that maybe you're like, you know, you didn't, you didn't need to see, but overall, I felt like it certainly delivered um, for what you were wanting out of it, um, and a good card. Uh, and like you say, he's already looking forward to Wrestle Kingdom, which is about what seven weeks away or so. Yeah, it's it's right around the corner. It's going to breeze yep. by, especially with the schedule we got this month with World Tag League, Best of Super Junior, and Super J Cup towards the middle of December. So there's going to be a ton of action to kind of keep us, um, you know, busy until we get towards Wrestle Kingdom season. And the one thing I'm really interested in is seeing what they end up doing with Evil and Sonata. Obviously, Evil's been the champion this year. He's been the main event picture a lot. And then Sonata was just the, you know, the runner-up in the G1. And typically, if you look at, you know, previous Wrestle Kingdom cards, the runner-up of the G1 usually ends up getting some kind of like big like secondary singles match you know either for the ic or never title and i'm not quite sure how they're going to play that out with sonata right now i'm hoping we do see mox uh i think moxley versus kenta could be could be interesting um if we do get that um so yeah no like you say in the two two matches well, the first one we obviously know confirmed. Um, well, we think we know it's obviously going to be Jay White versus whoever the champ's going to be. But if we do get Ibushi Naito and then Naito Jay White, well, that's two matches already. You know um, that it's going to be great viewing. Definitely. So, Ricky, you were saying there that there were some matches that you weren't happy with the timing for at full gear. Yep. What were they? Because I've actually got one, but when you go first. That, um, Matt Hardy and Sammy G. I think that went for like, was it like 25 odd minutes? Like, you know, I know like cinematic matches, um, and I don't mind cinematic matches. Um, I don't want to see them all the time, but, you know, that's Matt Hardy's thing. Um, I felt like that you know, that could have been cut short by about 10 minutes or so and the other one was probably um, what was the other one what was the other one uh, damn I can't remember now uh, it might have just been that actually 
Um, it was so long it felt like two matches. <laughs> uh, um, even, no, that, that, that like I say, could have been cut down by at least 10 minutes. Um, and I think when you look at the opening match, which was Hangman and Kenny Omega, that only went for like, what was it, like 15, 16, maybe 17 minutes? Yeah, I think it goes on that 16 minute range. Again, and it ties into the whole, like, you know, you, the match doesn't necessarily need to be 25, 30 minutes long for it to be, like, a great match because that was a fucking, that was just an absolute great way to kick off the pay per view. Um, I've, you know, like, I don't get caught up in this whole, you know, oh, look, the elite are putting the titles on themselves because, well, for instance, like, the Bucks. In Omega, like you know, they've been like some of the best tag teams in the last sort of five, ten years. And in Kenny Omega, has been one of the best performers in the last sort of like five, six, seven years. So whether they're VPs or EVPs or whatever the title is, like if they were always going to get the title anyway, whether they were kind of calling the shots or not. Um, so I don't have an issue with Kenny Omega winning. I think my issue was that Hangman didn't win. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I just I don't want him to be that guy. Like, oh, he's a good card to have. You know, like kind of like Piper, like never ever got like the number one title, but he like he was always featured and done well, etc. Like, I hope Hangman isn't always going to be the one that's sort of from on the outside looking in, um, and kind of like that's the shot you saw of. The Bucks and Kenny Omega in the ring celebrating, and you saw Hangman in the the on the ramp in the entrance way, just kind of looking on. It's like you know, so that would be my only issue, slight issue I would say from the opening match. But it's not on a knock on Kenny Omega because at some point, whether you like it or not, like you could be the the biggest anti AEW person there is. Well, like I think you should accept at some point Kenny Omega was going to get the title, and it had nothing to do. Where if I stand in a company, it was all about how great of a wrestler he is. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I know, I know there are people that yeah, complain, you know, yeah, you know, the elite, they're going to push themselves. But look, look, I, mean, I feel like they've done a, a great job of kind of balancing that. But, I mean, the company is called All Elite Wrestling. Like, the, the company was, you know, built off of their popularity from being the elite and, you know, the, the matches that they were having in New Japan. I mean, those guys are the stars. I mean, you would, I mean, I went to um, a, a Ring of Honor show a couple of years ago, 2018 December, and uh, Kenny Omega and the Bucks were on the show, and there, there was meet and greets. The lines for those guys were like, it was absolutely ridiculous. And then all the other ROH guys, you know, had, had no lines. Those guys were the draws. They were the absolute stars. And we've seen what's happened with Ring of Honor and they're they're kind of following since they left, and we're seeing you know with the American expansion of New Japan, what's happened since those guys have left. Those guys are top stars. They're draws. I mean, it would be kind of dumb not to push those guys and to have them as the faces of your companies at winning titles because that's what the fan base wants. They they want to see the Bucks and Kenny and Cody and, and Hangman succeed and kind of you know be the forefront of this thing. Um, as far as this match, I, I absolutely love this match. It was uh, an amazing matchup, uh, Kenny and Hangman. Um, and, you know, it seems like they've been kind of doing a slow burn, kind of heel turn for Kenny. 
in the lead up to this match, but he pretty much wrestled straight uh, Bay face throughout the match. Um, I think the thing with Hangman, I think they're kind of doing a slow kind of build with him, and it's going to be this kind of slow eventual journey for him to get to the title. And I feel like with what they're doing, I think we're going to see something where the kind of the key, the story right now is to get Hangman and the Bucks back together. Um, we've seen some stuff that happens on BTE and some kind of stuff they've been doing. Like you mentioned, Hangman was kind of hanging in the back um, so, uh, when they were celebrating in the ring. I think eventually it's, it's going to get to a point where maybe like Kenny finally like goes heel, turned on Hangman, and the Bucks are not cool with that. And the, and the Bucks and Hangman ended up getting back together. And that's kind of started, the, you know, rekilling their friendship. And that kind of helps them, um, you know, helps build a Hangman up to eventually getting to a world title match. I think it'll probably be, you know, I think Kenny will get the title from Mox, and then down the road you have Hangman versus Kenny for the title, and then you could finally have Hangman beat Kenny there. Mm. Well, that's the point I was going to bring up. I, I actually, I felt short-changed once this match was finished. I, I mean, the action was fine, it was good, but this is one of these things that's been, the story has been building basically since they became a tag team on TV. Uh, there's, there's that sort of Seamus Cesaro early days chemistry between them where they were not exactly getting on, then they weren't, and then they've had this tournament. I just felt as if the build to this one was a half hour super match, and I felt as if I didn't get that. And it came across like it was one of those WWE matches where it's the first match in a series and we'll see better ones down the line. But Kenny is now in the title picture, Hangman isn't, so when will we see the like I, I, I want to see them wrestle again, if you that if that makes sense. But when will it be? Will it be after Kenny if he does win the title? Yeah, oh, yeah. it might. It might be after Kenny wins the title. Right. Uh, boys, I'm coming. I'm here. Oh. The, the young boy just uh, barged on in. All right, I cut you off. But yeah, I was saying yeah, it's probably going to be after uh, Kenny wins the title. Um, or something down, down down the road. Who knows? Maybe they, they could do it on Dynamite again on one of these kind of special shows they do. But that's definitely like a very like long term story. Definitely, Full Gear was the first chapter in this kind of eventual breakup between these guys. And I think a lot of people, were, like you mentioned, kind of were kind of expecting. Like I was surprised when they decided to open the card with that show. Um, I think it was a great opener. It really set, set the tone for the whole pay per view. Um, but yeah, I definitely think down the line there is money in a Kenny Hangman mm-hmm. main event. That could end up being one of those rivalries over the years. Right, yeah. I feel like it's going to be a long term. This is going to be like one of the key kind of stories and, you know, them rivaling and then eventually Hangman getting back with the Bucks and then maybe down the road eventually you get them all back together. It's going to be this kind of long winding story that they're going to have. Uh-huh. What were your thoughts See, on the, the finish of the sorry, match? Um, sorry, on last you thing about that, sorry, Clive, was I actually kind of disagree. Like, I felt like after watching the match, like I didn't need to see anymore. Like in a sense, I was like, in that sixteen minutes, I got exactly what I wanted. I felt like even as they came towards the end of the tag title reign, like you started obviously seeing like who's turning on who, what's going to happen here, and like, and then obviously being kept apart in the tournament. I felt like the last two of this match, I thought it was like, like pretty damn near to like perfect um, and like I say I got what I needed from that match and if it takes place next year it could be was it Fighter Fest or maybe All Out um, 
Yeah, I, I would definitely sign up for that as well. Like I says, I just hope, as Jeremy says, that is the direction that we do go with and Hangman isn't going to be left on the outside looking in. But, yeah, like I don't have any complaints whatsoever when it comes to these two guys from what I've saw in the last couple of months. And I felt like that match was just perfect. What about the finish to the match? Because it seemed a bit messy. The one-winged angel. I mean, oh. I, I mean, I liked it. It was, you know, Hangman, he was struggling. He was fighting. He, he obviously knows, like, you know, if I get hit with this one-winged angel, I, I'm done. So him, he was, you know, trying to fight, kind of keep his head up. And Kenny had to fight to try and get the head. And then finally, he was able to grab the head and drill him down and get the one-winged angel. So I, re- I really liked the finish. That's fair enough. And he hit, he hit a few V triggers as well, so you can, if you want, you can flip it and be like, well, you know, Hangman was just completely done, dead on his feet, so, you know, Kenny's obviously struggling trying to get him into the one-winged angel. It's not going to look as pretty kind of thing because Hangman basically is just like a limp body kind of thing. Um, no, I certainly didn't have an issue with that finish. Okay, I'm in the minority then, that's fine. Joshua, hello. Hello, everybody. I am here, <laughs> and I'm happy to be here. Thank you guys for having us. Uh, you guys, you, I haven't seen you guys in a while. You guys are looking handsome. Look at these handsome gentlemen right here. These gents. Uh, handsome janitors over here, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you should have heard the stuff Jeremy was saying about you when you were out of the house. Oh, I, I, I he's a backstabber. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Ricky's got the fresh fade and the the strong beard. I can't grow a beard. Jeremy's got the beard. Oh, man, um, popping up a cold one. I'm ready to do this. I don't know why we're talking about AEW. I thought we were here to talk about New Japan. You missed you missed that part. We can we can go back and we can just ask Josh the exact same questions we asked Jeremy. Hmm. I thought you guys were saving that for last. Are you riveting? No, we're doing the, the bracket, the New Japan bracket for last. So we had That's some, what I thought. Yeah, but Ricky had some power struggle questions for me. Oh, we're good. I, I trust Jeremy. He's got okay takes. <laughs> <laughs> so were there any other matches? See, I'm thinking of the biggest build. So the biggest build ones for me were that Hangman-Kenny Omega match and the tag team title match. What, what are your thoughts on that one, Josh? You want to chip in first with the tag title match? Oh, certainly. So, um, I've got a divisive take on the match, um, and, and it seems this match is being so praised and so lauded in most circles. Uh, Dave Melter called it one of the ten best, uh, you know, U.S. tag team matches of the decade or, or of all time. Ooh. And I, I really disagree. But here's the thing: the match was fantastic. Uh, it's probably I would call it one of the smartest tag matches I've ever seen from a storytelling perspective, just all the different elements, the callbacks to their influences, the legwork, you know, playing off of the injury that Matt has, um, just the little heel things that FTR do to like kind of cut off the ring, keep that top control and, you know, stop all the different tags, you know, keeping those guys from, uh, you know, being able to tag out. It was, and then they did a lot of, um, high flying stuff FTR did that they don't normally do, and yep. that was kind of their undoing in the story of the match. So from that aspect, I thought it was great. Um, granted, and I, it was the first time these guys have ever worked together, so 
it's hard to expect to have the you know the lofty expectations people had when it's the first time they've ever worked together. I think they did a fantastic job. If I was to rate it, I'd go four and a quarter, which is really good. But I I don't even think it's the best tag team match in AEW even this year. Uh-huh. And I I definitely don't think it's one of the ten best uh, of all time. I think they have a better match in them for sure. But um, my biggest complaint and gripe when it comes to FTR, um. I think they don't do a good enough job stooging for the guys that they they so they do that incredible job like I mentioned of cutting off the ring, keeping the guys isolated, having a, a dominating you know heat uh, run where, where you know where they're getting heat. But when when it comes time for the hot tag, they do not do a good job stooging for the other guys that are coming in and beating them up. And what I mean by that is, if you look at the tag teams that they emulate and idolize, like the brain busters like the midnight express when those guys would get, when the good guys would get their comeuppance, those guys would sell their asses off. I mean, wobbly legs, crazy facials. Like they take a punch and they'd flip over, you know, like Kurt Henning, they don't do that stuff. They do the standard, you know, they take their bumps and then they go back to doing what they're doing. It's almost like they, they don't want to look weak for the other team. So it's like, they want to have the top game of the, you know, of like the four horsemen, but then, they want to have the selling game of like the Legion of Doom or the Steiner Brothers. <laughs> they don't look weak at all, and um, it's hard for me that when you do Southern style tag, which is one of my favorite styles of tag wrestling, and I've watched it my whole life. The, the bad guys have to have that moment where they really fire up the crowd by selling their asses off super hard, like a Kyle O'Reilly. When Kyle O'Reilly gets beat up in, in his tag matches. <laughs> He's all over the place. That's what I'm talking about. They don't do that. And it, it is a huge detriment that people are not talking about. Um, but but at the same time, I don't want to besmirch the, the match too much because it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. The, the issues that I have with the match was there was one where they were doing the dueling sharpshooters to sort of emulate what they did with DIY at Toronto that time when they were holding yes. on to each other. But they were, they were at the ropes so when they were holding hands, would that not have counted as a rope break? I don't. I can't remember if the ref stopped that at that point or not. But it was just they were looking for a visual rather than staying within the rules. And the, the other thing, like I've, I'm a big, big fan of revival, revival's work, even stuff that they did on the main roster in WWE. And one of the reasons that I love them so much is their strict, strict adherence to tag team rules. And even using those rules to their advantage in a, a dirty way, if they can. And the tag rules in AEW matches seem a bit more lenient. There were times during that one where I wasn't aware of who the the legal tag was. And it came across like tornado rules at times. So it, it doesn't complement FTR's best attributes, personally. I think those are points. Yeah, and to that spot you were talking about, Clive. Yeah, there, there should have been a rope break there, but they didn't. They didn't break the rope. Uh, Matt ended up dragging him back into the middle of the ring, and uh, right, Rick Knox right. broke up the submission. So that, that definitely should have been a break there. And yeah, you know, with AEW's kind of house style for their tag team matches, it's very you know super indie style. It's something you know PWG style, a style the Bucks have kind of perfected. Uh, throughout the years, a very similar to like a Dragon Gate style, kind of this you know, very quick, high pace, big moves, and yeah, FTR doesn't really wrestle that style, and so yeah, it was kind of a mix for them, and 
know a lot of the teams in AEW do wrestle that style. You know, you you have SCU and Private Party, mm-hmm. um, Jurassic Hybrid Express, two. Hybrid Two that kind of wrestle that that style. They're used to that kind of indie, Dragon Gate, PWG, mm-hmm. fast paced style where FTR is not. There's one other thing too I wanted to throw in. I'm because uh, I do have a lot of thoughts on this match. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the crowd was not really responding during this match the way you'd expect them to. Now I could chalk that up to one of two things. One might be that the crowd was so honed in on this because there was so much anticipation that it was almost like a Japanese crowd. Like they were like, you know, living with them and they didn't get the the usual pops like you normally would. That is possible. Mm-hmm. But what I think was really happening, if you want my honest opinion, I think they got a little too cute with the callbacks. And what I mean by that was that they were so insidery that your general fan might not have even realized what the callbacks even were. And um, to kind of contrast this to Hangman and Kenny against the Bucks, you know, that match obviously also had a lot of callbacks. But what was beautiful about that match was if you came in as an outsider and you didn't didn't know anything, the spots that were callbacks were so action filled and so um, crowd pleasing that you didn't actually have to have that insight. You'd still get popped by it. But if you happen to know the deeper meaning and level of a lot of the moves, you you got rewarded even further for it. Whereas with this one, you kind of did need to have understanding of what they were doing to appreciate it. Without it, the match actually did go down. And I have a suspicion that a lot of people, they were doing so many smart things that like when you're watching it on camera and you're up close and you can see it, you're, you can appreciate it. But when you're far, far away, like those that audience was, they weren't getting popped by those smart things like you would expect them to because they were a little too cute and a little too insidery. And I feel like that was a detriment to the match, too. I think when you go out there, you have to know your audience. You can't just wrestle for yourself. And that's kind of what I think they were doing was like they're wrestling for themselves to tell the story that they wanted to tell. But not taking into account like crowd reaction is a huge element as to how a match is perceived. And the crowd was if you go back and watch it. Trust me when I say this. This was one of the quietest matches of the night when you wouldn't have expected that. It was supposed to be like, you know. The big match? Yeah. But you know what? I could be wrong because you look at all the rating sites and everyone's raving about this match like it's one of the greatest of all time. And I I don't see that. I just thought it was very, very good. Yeah. You know, we had our buddy uh, Floyd, host of All Things Elite here on Social Suplex. He was in the building for full gear and love the match watching live and pretty much what we heard from him is like the crowd w- was really into the match so i don't know if it's just one of those things for whatever reason just didn't come through mm-hmm. the pay-per-view feed or it, it came through in the mox match came through in the kenny match came yeah. through in the darby cody match i don't know the, it was very loud in the jericho match as well yes yeah so yeah i don't know what happened there i think a couple of things that josh said um like talking about the callbacks i absolutely loved the Bucks coming out in the purple and gold, and FTR <laughs> coming out in the Celtic Boston Celtic call. I I love that. Um, I I actually like. I think the anticipation for this match it had been built up for years on upon years upon years without it actually being like you know we're talking about one day we will wrestle and we will rejoice etc etc. Right. Like I think we've built it up so much. If this wasn't the greatest wrestling match, the greatest tag team match of all time, it was going to automatically be like mm, that, that. That disappointed. So I would agree with Josh. I thought it was absolute. I thought it was a great match. 
it probably didn't hit the heights that we expected it to because I think our expectations were through the roof. And if it, if it wasn't like a quote unquote five star classic, then it, it couldn't. It just didn't deliver in that sense. But I thought it was a I thought it was a great match. Um, I absolutely loved the ending. As you say, the, the whole uh-huh. storyline going into it, uh, uh, no flips, just fists. And what was their undoing? The fact that they try to do something that they don't ever do. Yeah. Yeah, Cash Wheeler trying to hit that four, that springboard four hundred and fifty. Yeah, I've never saw them do stuff like that, and and you can and, and you could be like, well, you know, maybe like the storyline, as you say, that they don't do stuff like that, and it's just it's just fists, and maybe they they want to do something to prove a point, and that was their undoing. Like, That's I thought that was great. That was great. And I know we're talking about um, doing all these kind of inside inside moves, like moments and stuff that a lot of people might not have realised. Um, it could have been a kind of an undoing as well. I think a lot of people probably would have noticed those things, um, but for some reason I don't know why the crowd it never it never came through. Like because I agree, like the crowd was you heard the crowd in just about every single match. Um, so I'm not entirely sure. I, I'm, part of me is wondering is like maybe people in attendance, and I know Floyd says no, the crowd was hot for it. Maybe people in attendance were somewhat disappointed in the match as well. Um, like, because I've saw a lot of different things. I've saw a lot of people saying that was that was okay, but then I've also saw other people on other other end of the spectrum saying no, that was a great, great match. Um, you know, like I thought it was excellent. I just building into the match, I hated the stipulation going into it <laughs> because we, we just saw that with Cody, mm. um, and it was like, well, surely, you're, and I I thought FTR were going to win, but completely forgetting about the stipulation but you're kind of thinking like surely you're not going to do it again um, and I guess for me that's a disappointing thing being such a FTR slash revival mark and like I think that I think they're great is that their first significant challenge for those titles they lost like I know they beat Hangman uh, and uh, Mega and they've had some uh, matches on Dynamite, but this was the test, and you lost. Um, I don't know how I feel about that, but it's to tie back into what we say about um, before we started when we spoke about Hangman Omega. Regardless of what the Bucks standing or what their titles are, their roles are in that company, at some point they were going to get the tag titles. And I'm personally surprised it took this long, but it it was going to happen at some point. I'm just kind of disappointed that FTR didn't win the first one. I could have done without a stipulation and we could have went to um, Revolution or Fighter Fest where we could... And we might, I don't think we will, but you could have had like a, a best of three type thing. So, you know, um, FTR win the first one, Bucks win, and then we get the, the rubber match. Um, but like I say, I thought it was... Really, really, I thought it was a really, really good match. Uh, certainly, in my eyes, me, like I said, probably didn't live up to my expectations because we were through the roof. But that's not to say it wasn't like an outstanding match. Yeah, and the bill for this match, I agree with you. The, the whole bill for this match was was, was was really bad. You know, you had the Bucks kind of doing all these helix things or super kicking everybody, super kicking Tony Giovanni. They're being, you know, douches to their friends and kind of having this heel persona, you know, being heels a private party and then kind of making that last minute switch 
towards the, the last week of kind of going back to being baby faces and putting a stipulation on. So the whole bill was just kind of convoluted and weird. So it definitely kind of hurt the, the for me, the anticipation into the match. And honestly, going into the match, I was worried about the match because it was <laughs> there was so much hype and build into it. And honestly, I haven't really been high on FTR's work in AEW. Right. Um, I did not love the Omega uh, Hangman match at All Out, which I was there live for. Uh, and some of their other stuff, I really haven't been as keen on them. And so I was kind of worried about this match going in. Um, but it, it ended up being a great matchup. Um, and, you know, personally for me, I liked some of the callbacks I did. Uh, the fact that they were doing moves that of teams that they've kind of modeled after. You know, you had... FTR doing the the heart attack and the brain buster pile driver the uh, the Bucks doing the the Hardy combo of Twist of Fate and Swanton um, and there was another double team they were doing like the the Rock and Roll Midnight Express like double Hurricane Ranas and mm-hmm. so there's a lot of kind of great moves that they were doing from teams that have influenced their style so I I really did like that I thought that kind of adds to the story and I get being disappointed that maybe FTR lost the first match but obviously with that stipulation the Bucks had to win. But even if there wasn't a stipulation, I still feel the Bucks might have had to win just because it might have been a, you know, a TNA situation where you're, you're bringing in this WWE tag team and they're going to beat, you know, your top branded tag team. Um, and so, that, again, that kind of makes you think, oh, well, WWE guys are always better. They just came in and beat, you know, our best tag team. So I kind of like that the Bucks beat FTR first, kind of establishing, like, hey, you know, the AEW guys can be just as good as the WWE guys, and you can always do a rematch down the line where FTR can get the win back. I, I think ultimately there's nothing wrong with the callbacks. The callbacks were good, but the thing in pro wrestling is you're working to get the biggest reaction that you possibly can. So it's not what you do. It's when and how you do it that matters the most. You know, um, So th- that's the one thing I'll say for that. As far as um, the stipulation, I agree. I thought the build was really bad. But as far as the whole thing, like, if we lose, we can't challenge again. It might have felt too soon, but that was like a year ago almost. So it's like we've already seen someone who can't challenge again. So what if they had lost? They would have had to have adhered to that stipulation. Um, I'm not trying to, like, go back and say, like, you know, it it, it was the best thing for them to do. Because I think it, it added unnecessary. You know, it didn't, like, add a lot to the uh, steps or whatever, you know, because I think at that point, most people did think that the Bucks were going to win. But if they had lost, they wouldn't have been able to challenge for the titles. Again. <laughs> so there's there's at least that that, you know, we've seen it before. It could happen again sort of mentality. But um, I think the good news here, regardless of any of the criticisms we have, the match was fantastic. People are raving about it. We are going to these guys are going to do business again down the road. And I can't see how management or the wrestlers involved couldn't see this as anything more than a rousing success, especially considering that FTR have had their detractors. And in my opinion, this is the best match they've had since they've came to the company. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's the stock has got to be on the rise for them based off of how this all went down. I'd say so. It was, I mean, my criticisms aside, I still enjoyed the match. Give me chaos, chaotic tag team matches any day of the week. I still enjoyed it. It's just, it's not the revival of old so far anyway. But they, well, they, they didn't have time to uh, um, work out the match for like five <laughs> weeks. <laughs> so there was another match. Now this is bizarrely ended up being one of my favourites of the night where there was a title change and it was Cody Rhodes versus Darby Allen. Now, it's a shame personally that 
someone who was implicated in speaking out and it seems to have just been swept aside is now the face of TNT, as it were. But I really enjoyed the match. I think Darby Allen, who was announced as £150 or something along those lines, like, no way, no way, pal, you're not £150. But apart <laughs> from that, uh, for how slight he is, he is able to make his offence look impactful to bigger guys. I think there was a specific point where he did a sort of a shoulder barge suicide dive, uh, the sort of Lope suicider, and it looked jarring to Cody, who's now rather muscular. Um, he's just got this, it's like stretching back a rubber band with Darby Allen. He's really fast and impactful that way. Uh, Cody's avalanche crossroads was delightful. The I, I don't know why I enjoy it so much, but the commentary team admonishing Cody's ego in the ring like he's showing off or he's not taking it seriously enough or he's distracted I like that they play into that and I thought the finish was really good where it was just all these roll ups one after another schoolboys fold ups and then it just caught Cody off guard it was I thoroughly enjoyed that match I like the finish as well mm-hmm. um, I particularly like the point where do you remember where Cody slapped Darby at some point at one point in the back of his head and I felt like as the match kind of got went on you could kind of see Cody's demeanour changing a little bit more um, yeah like I was not going to lie like I think it's probably my dislike of Cody that I was like yeah he's not he's not he's not he's not going to lose this title so I was surprised that he did but then when he gets down on one knee and presents him with the title I'm just like that's why I don't like you um, just something like, and and, I, and that's the first time he's been called Cody Rhodes. I think did he get his name back? Like, yeah, got it back. Yeah, he got it back. Yeah. So that was surprising that like that came in the kind of came out of the blue. Um, yeah, that was a really good match. I think this was probably along with the FTR match. I think this was maybe maybe the second best match of the card um, for me anyway. Um, and and I'm glad they kind of went with Darby Allen because you know we spoke about with Hangman earlier on that we don't want him to be someone who kind of gets his opportunities and then ultimately loses them and he's always on the outside looking in. Well, Darby Allen's had like a couple of like big time matches that he hasn't won, um, and it's nice for him to get this. And this was the best match I think they've had. Um, I think they've had a couple. Did they not have one at? Uh, Fighter Fest, I think. Uh, that was a, was that not the draw at Fighter Fest? Yeah, yeah the first match was the yep. draw at Fighter Fest. Actually, we were we were there live for that matchup. That was an awesome match. We were there live for two of their matches. Yeah, we, we had one in the tournament as well. Yeah, the, yes. the TNT tournament yep. which uh, Cody lost or Darby lost with the tilt. Um, and then there was the the January first matchup they had yeah, at, home, at Homecoming, and it almost went the whole time limit. Yeah, yeah, we um. I think for us, especially for me, I I do do disagree. I don't think it was the second best match of the night, but it was still very – I mean, it was fantastic. These guys oddly have great chemistry together for whatever reason. And um, I did think it was pretty awesome for Cody to kind of hand the title to him just because the story that they were telling was like Cody's the whole reason that he was even brought into the company and Cody's the first guy he wrestled and the guy that he's been coming up short against – and 
they kind of borrowed from the storyline that they were running in Evolve before Cody got signed. Yeah. And they never got to pay that story off because of the falling out that he had with Evolve management. But they were they were leading to something like this. So this guy's never really had a crowning achievement of any sorts. This was his like crowning moment. And um just, you know, them playing off the backstory of the three previous matches. I love when series of matches do that and they did that fantastic here. And you know, this guy I mean Darby like not about him, but this is a guy who was literally like two years ago sleeping in his car and had no food to eat and we, me and Jeremy used to watch him wrestle at the Orpheum all the time, jumping off the top of the building and like doing crazy shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, we, when we went to see him wrestle Cody the first time, nobody knew who he was and no one was cheering for him. And we were like screaming to get this man some support. And now like look where we're at. It, it's pretty like incredible. Yeah. We, 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 sorry, Jeremy, like we've had Darby Allen on the network, I think like, yes. a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and Josh, you say a falling out with Evolve Management. Did you mean to say a falling out with Triple H since, you know, WWE? Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what he said? We, he was like, yo, if I went to WWE, I'd just be another 205 Live guy. Look how those guys got treated. I mean, can you imagine? Look at the parallels of where, the, where his career would have been had he gone to WWE. He was like, I mean, he's very small. Like, he's smaller than the majority of the 205 Livers. He'd probably get treated like... Maybe not even as good as Drake Maverick. Right. And I think another issue that happened too, you know, with the whole Evolve NXT partnership, you would have all these NXT guys come in and not even like the, the top NXT guys, like the... Like Velveteen. You would you would have... Well, you would have Velveteen come in, but you would also have some of the lower NXT guys come in and beat all the Evolve guys. Oh, like Babatunde and stuff. Right. And then you would have the big NXT guys come in. And also, they would beat the top Evolve guys. And I know that was an issue. Like, Darby's like, you know, I'm not a mark. I don't care about wrestling an NXT guy in a big main event and then having to lose this NXT guy. Um, so I know he, he had some issues with that too. And then it, there were some things with him and Gabe... That I, I don't know all the details, but there were some issues between them as well. Because yeah, like Josh was mentioning, there was this whole big plan. Like Darby was supposed to win the Evolve title. I think New York Mania weekend. I think was going to be the kind of the culmination yeah. of him winning that title, and they had to change plans. That he eventually left Evolve and went to AEW. But yeah, that's that's kind of the background there. But yeah, I, I love this matchup. Been a big fan of Darby since we've seen him here in the kind of the local indie scene here in Florida. And I just love this whole kind of story that they've told with Cody from the very beginning, um, from Fighter Fest and kind of how they've built it here. I don't think the story's over. I think there's going to be more to come. But I'm glad that Darby kind of finally got his, his real big moment, his first big break. I would argue if you compare – it's the, the company short-lived, but they haven't had a lot of title changes. But if you look at all the title changes that they've ever had, like people getting crowned, even like inaugurally, this is the most feel-good – title change in the history of the company like so far like because it just it had that like Bret Hart beating you know Roddy Piper feeling or like Bulldog beating Bret in Wembley like it felt like that felt special like this guy really worked his way now he's he's made and this is the first time it's it's really felt like that in the company at least for me yeah it was definitely a big win for him and another match that I I did not think I would enjoy it all, but I ended up enjoying it more than most. It was another big match for MJF, which now sees him winning it with him and Wardlow are now in the inner circle. Now, this was obviously Jericho. We've seen all the memes the last few days with his 
posing like a sack of potatoes for his 50th birthday. <laughs> um, but they wrestled a slower match than the, most of the matches on the card. But I think it worked. There was a lot of posturing to the crowd. So everyone was invested. So there was already this atmosphere around the match. I thought MGF wrestled... Well, they both did. Um, very smart. It's probably one of the best um, working a body part matches I've seen in quite a long time. I thought they both played that well with MGF. Like swapping over to try and make sure Jericho had to chop him with his right hand and blocking the left hand and spinning him around and stuff and even small details like things you'd learn in day one of heel wrestler school where the MGF's at the, and running the ropes and he stops and gives the middle fingers or the other rude gestures to the fans and he's standing there but Jericho just pulls him out without MGF realising just small small subtle things that sort of add to the the big theatre stage performance that that match was, and I just felt it was well wrestled, even though it was a, it was slower paced. I just enjoyed what I was seeing. Good, really good working with Jericho's arm throughout. But the only issue I had with it, there was two times where the ref's positioning wasn't great because there was a point where MGF thumbed Jericho in the eye, or vice versa, and Aubrey Edwards she must have seen it, and the, she must have clearly seen MGF use the tights as well to roll up Jericho but apart from that those things aside thoroughly enjoyed it Ricky I liked um, MGF's entrance with the jacket yes that's what I meant to yep. say that was cool. and that using was. some of Jericho's finishing moves as well or trying to yep um, I also liked ending where um, MGF kind of faked being hit and then Gets a gets a one two three, some like sometimes heel versus heel just doesn't work, uh, especially when you get like two heels that are constantly trying to cheat, etc. Um, I think this match it went the same length as the opening match, but it felt longer. I suppose that might be down to the pace and all the fact that I'm just not that much of a fan of Jericho's in ring work these days. Um, <laughs> It was still a good match, though. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't mind watching slower-paced matches. I don't need everything to be like a hundred miles per hour. I, I kind of like seeing like a slower-paced match. Like, that's why it's something I enjoy at times watching a Randy Orton type match. I don't need to see all these high-flying moves. Um, so, like I said, I don't have. Like, was, like I said, it wasn't like a great match. Um, I think if anything, it probably was maybe in my mind um, the weakest on the card um, but like I said there was like, aspects of the match I liked like the entrance like the finish um, and as you mentioned just kind of running ropes and coming to a, and a, a come, uh, come to a halt um, so those aspects of it I liked but overall like I say is I, it, it, it felt like a chore at times having to watch the match yeah, I, I definitely kind of agree with you, Ricky. Like, I thought the match was good. I didn't think it was great. Um, I, I think it, it could probably shave some minutes off of this matchup. Uh, I mean, there, there was kind of a good story. You know, Jericho wanted to see this edge from MJF, kind of seeing that. Um, and then, you know, kind of pretty much outsmarting Jericho at the end there to get the win and get into the inner circle. So overall, I mean, it was a good story, good finish. 
but yeah, you know, you, you mentioned Jericho, and I think it's just one of those things where, like, I think he's getting to the point now where you got to question, like, is Jericho washed? Like, you know, a lot of his uh, singles matches have not been hitting the highest of heights. You know, coming off of, you know, um, you know, him versus Omega from the Tokyo Dome a few years ago and some of the bigger, you know, the Naito matches, like, he's not quite hitting the, the high peaks in his big singles matches. You know, the Orange Cassidy stuff wasn't all, it, it was fine, but it wasn't like any, like, high-level, like, great, you know, thing that you're going to, like, rave about for the rest of the year. And so, yeah, it's like one of these things, like, is Jericho washed? Is he, is he you know, does he maybe need to think about either hanging it up or really focusing on getting on better shape? I, I don't know what the, the situation there is. I can tell you what he needs to do. He needs to stop drinking so much. <laughs> the man's an alcoholic. And he needs to get back in that DDPY because it got him into the <laughs> shape of his entire life, apparently. He, he tells me every single podcast. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but in all seriousness. But in the same breath, he's also eating all those Omaha steaks. So he's just putting the weight back um, on. You guys did a great job recapping the match. The only thing I'm excited for is, you know, the fallout of the match going forward. What's going to happen with the inner circle? This is the most interesting the inner circle has been in a long time having him in there. So it's going to be really fun. I can't wait to see what kind of business they do and where the story leads because like, you know, we wanted classic book, you know, wrestling booking, good, you know, long form storytelling. And that's what they're doing here. So I'm, you know, regardless of the outcome of like how good the match was, like the, the story is great. Yep. Is it, I'm trying to think. Did you guys talk about Mox and Kingston? No, uh, that's what I was trying to think. I was trying to remember their names there. Oh my god, so I would like to start uh, This was my match of the night um, if, if I'm being completely honest I would probably say Kenny and Hangman Was probably in ring for me The best match, but like This match really, really Landed for me, I mean I thought it had the best build by far uh, I think that these are Two of the best promo guys in the Wrestling industry right now The promos that they cut on each other like leading up to this in the video packages, but especially the the go home show, I hated the AEW go home show this past week. But um, that segment where they they weren't allowed to hit each other before the match, so they're nose to nose and like you can feel the tension and it's so personal. It was fantastic. And then you know, big fight feel. I mean, this is a match that just happened on AEW a few weeks ago with a definitive finish, and you would feel like you wouldn't really want to see it again a few weeks later. And they talked us into the, into buying the pay-per-view and to going to the building. And, um, this was one of the coolest I quit matches because I, 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 you guys know I'm a, I'm an old school wrestling fan. So I've watched a lot of I quit matches. I've seen it worked many different ways, but this one wasn't worked the way that most of them are where, you know, you have them in a hold the referees asking them, or there's a microphone and it's in their face. They never really stopped to do that. It was literally, a hardcore match yeah. where these guys were just trying to put each other out. And then finally, if one of them got to the point where the other person was done, that's when you knew the definitive finish was going to come. And they, these guys killed themselves. Um, commentary team did an awesome like uh, job putting over like, you know, uh, Kingston's connection to Tracy Smothers who just passed away and like too sweet Larry Sweeney, you know, or sour and sweet Larry Sweeney and how, you know, he kind of dedicated this match to him and, uh, he came out in the Mitsuhara Mizawa colors, and this was like a for for people who are diehard um, independent wrestling fans. This was 
so so wonderful to see Eddie Kingston put in this position. This is also someone who was on our network just a year or two ago talking about he was going to quit. And I was in New York, and I watched him have a match with uh, – oh, God, I forget, I forget who it was. But I, I saw him wrestle – in what was supposed to be his retirement match because no, he wasn't getting hired anywhere. And like the wrestling industry was done with him. And now he's headlining a pay-per-view against John Moxley for the, for the world title. Like it was incredible. And then the, 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 the final moment, the way they worked the, I quit where John Moxley has the barbed wire. And this isn't even to say, you know, everything that happened in the match and all the brutality, but like the final moment where John Moxley puts him in the bulldog choke with his arm wrapped in barbed wire and Bryce, what's his name, Rinsberg? Yeah. Who they both have extensive histories with on a personal and professional level. And he looks at Bryce and he, and he starts crying. <laughs> he starts crying because he can't get out, but he doesn't want to quit. And then he like he's, – he's crying because he knows that he has nowhere to go. And he like motions him over. And you don't hear him say, I quit. You just see him like – moving his head a little bit and you don't hear it, but you know that he said something to the ref and then the ref calls it and you're like, that's fucking real. Mm-hmm. This was like the most real feud, the most real thing that happened the whole night. It was incredible. I really enjoyed the aesthetics of there being no microphones because I like the hardcore element of I Quit matches and I think the, it worked with Roman Reigns and Jey Uso because there's no audience their matches have been built a lot on dialogue in the ring, which have made those matches as special as they are. So it was fine to just have them say the ref asking, "Do you quit? Do you quit?" But when they've got the microphone shoved in their face, it just takes you out of it. So what they did here, just it, I didn't, I didn't spot the crying. I actually didn't spot when Kingston quit, but just seeing the ref react the way he did, that told me obviously that the match was over. I just. I, I do thoroughly enjoy that there was no mic work involved in it, definitely. I like the good thing I liked about the finish was he didn't pass out. Yeah. Like, that, like I, that's okay now and then, but I feel like you see it too much, and I'm like, it's almost as if, like, oh, we don't want to, we want to protect the loser, and it's like, no, fuck that, like, give us a definitive winner here, and we got it, and you could, as Josh says, like, you could see just how much it pained them to say the words um, the only question I would ask and I've, and I've saw quite a few hot takes that people are saying that they should have put the title on Kingston here No, no. I don't think they should have yeah. I love the fact that we're going to get Moxley and Omega and it, and it just <laughs> how did Moxley debut when he came into AEW it was his oh. first feud like, I love how they've kind of gone full circle on this now yeah, I mean, I love Eddie Kingston as much as the next guy, but yeah, I don't think putting the title on him would have been the right move. You know, maybe if this was like an independent promotion, a little, you know, a super indie, if it was your your AAW, yeah, maybe you put the title on Eddie Kingston, but AAW's on TNT. TV revenue is their biggest thing that's keeping them alive during this uh, pandemic era. You need a champion that's going to draw, that's going to draw viewers, and Mox has been that champion. Mox is champion does the best segments, has great matches. He's proven to be a great world champion. And Eddie Kingston is just unproven right now in that in that in that kind of role. And so you can't really, you know, hedge your bets in this kind of uncertain times on a guy like Eddie Kingston just yet. I mean you can definitely build him, um, keep, you know, getting him over 
with the AEW audience. But yeah, I think the right call was Mox retaining. Um, love the whole story. You know, a lot of great promos that they did, especially on the countdown. You know, talking about you know, for his mom. You know, he's like, you know, wrestling is the reason why you don't you don't have grandkids, why you don't mm-hmm. have a daughter-in-law. Yeah, I, I want to bring back this world title so I can at least say, hey, this is. This is why, you know, I sacrificed and why you don't have, you know, grandkids and daughter-in-law. And that just, you know, that's that pain that you saw in his face when he, he had to say, I quit because he knows he's going to have to go back to mom and be like, ma, you know, I, I didn't win the world title. Do it. I, I didn't Second. do it. I had, I, I had to quit, ma. And so, yeah, it's just a great story. And also, you know, Mox, you know, wanting to be his friend still and trying to get back to the old Eddie Kingston, and, you know, rekindle their friendship. All like, that was just kind like, of nah, stuff. fuck that. <laughs> Listen, th- if this guy keeps talking the way he's talking and he keeps and he's getting in better shape, a lot of people are not giving credit for that. He's been slimming down and he's like really trying. If he keeps talking this way, there's no telling what might happen down the line. Like this guy one day could actually be the champion because this is, you know, more than it's a cosmetic business, it's an entertainment business. And like the biggest stars in the history of wrestling are guys that can talk their asses off and there is nobody in the company except for maybe jericho and at this point i don't even know if i agree with that that can uh, mjf is like the one other guy that can talk as good as um kingston and but he's like for real like he's like this yonkers boy that you're like oh he's like he's about that life he's ready to run it you know he wants to smoke it's awesome Mm -hmm. Uh, in the limited time i've seen him on aew he's spitting the fire Regularly. So, see, with the rest of the cards, I didn't watch the uh, Elite Deletion at all. And uh, <laughs> no interest in Orange Cassidy. The women's match was alright, but if you guys want to talk about some of the matches that are left, feel free. Uh, you know what? I'll say this for the Elite Deletion. If you like that stuff, if that's your shtick, and, and I, I like it, then you, you would have loved this, which I did. I liked it a lot. I did go too long, but I liked it. But if you don't like that, you're going to hate it. And it's real. That's it's as simple as that. Yeah, the deletion. I mean, I've always been a fan of the deletion matches. That they did an impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we talked about earlier, yeah, this match went too long. Um, and, and it had some weird tones. I feel like the deletion matches were a little bit more goofier and outlandish. Yeah. And it it kind of had like a, a funny tone at first, and then it was kind of serious, and then went back to funny. You had Hurricane and Gangrel showing up. They're trying to toe the line. Yeah, they went into the, the dome of deletion, and it got super serious again, and Matt's getting his revenge, and came this kind of blood war thing. And But overall, it was fine. I mean, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, the women's match sucked. Yeah, uh, Sheeta and Nyla Rose. Their May match was way better. Their May match ruled, and this one wasn't good. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened here. The chemistry just seemed to be off. Um, they overbooked it. It got convoluted. And what was the point? And I suppose they kind of left it open, but Vicky Guerrero was talking the talk for weeks, and then she just—I thought they were going to start scrapping straight away, and I thought, well, that was a really pointless run as manager but it's still going on so far they're, they're they're trying to tell a story with nyla because at this point nyla's just really been a monster and there's no nothing to really sink your teeth into when it comes to her like as far as uh character wise so this is going to define her as a character i don't know if it's going to be a baby story or a heel story mm. there is a way they could do both or i mean i mean one or the other but ultimately it's going to be you know her getting away from her handler and becoming her own 
whatever she's going to be, you know, whether it's a heel or a face. Right. I don't know if she needed one in the first place. I think so. She's a terrible promo. Really? I think so, but other people don't agree, but I think she's a terrible promo. I think she's a better promo than a wrestler. I think she's a pretty good wrestler. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I thought her promos were fine, uh, but I I understand one that kind of add Vicky. And I mean, if there was a crowd, like that would have been a great act for to get a ton of heat with that. But also, you know, with COVID, um, we couldn't really work on that. Um, But yeah, I I really like the John Silver uh, Orange Cassidy Cassidy match. John Silver's so over. They were getting dueling chants in the building, which was awesome. I mean, right now. If there was live crowds, John Silver would be a megastar. That's how over he's getting. A lot of people don't, maybe that don't follow it don't realize, but like what's happening with him on being the elite, he's becoming the next big thing in wrestling. And it sounds crazy, but it's true. And uh, I thought that match was really entertaining. I, I did see some people down on it. I don't get why, because I thought those guys maximized the time they had. And I thought, right, they, especially following Omega and Hangman. Yes. They did, a, they did an excellent job. They're both really great wrestlers. Um, and yeah, with Silver, you know, we've seen with BTE, it's a star-making machine. They've gotten a lot of people over on that show. You know, SCU was kind of born out of BTE. Uh, we had the whole, you know, the Jay Lethal gimmick, the Flipcord, and there's so many guys you can look back that kind of got their starts off BTE. And now John Silver is kind of the next guy here, super over on that show, hilarious, and that's been playing through now. And Tony Khan seen that on BTE and kind of been giving Silver this kind of little push here, and so. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of Silver, and also Cassidy just came out of that Jericho program, so he was still kind of hot. Um, and so Plus, yeah, Silver's raw. Yeah, Silver. Yeah, he's fucking raw. He can really wrestle. Yeah, both guys. Yeah, especially Silver. Yeah, great matchup here following Omega Hangman. So overall, I thought the show was very good. I don't think this is the best um, pay per view they've ever had. On paper, I think it had the potential to be, and a lot of people are saying it's the best. I don't think it was. I still think their inaugural pay-per-view is the best they've ever done. Yeah. But uh, it was really good. I mean, I mean, it was awesome. Okay. Uh, I would pretty much agree with what everyone says. I think what Elder always says about the Matt Hardy, uh, Matt Hardy match went on slightly too long. Women's match. They've not done a good job at all with the women um, but you know whatever um, let them hopefully sort that mess out and Orange Cassidy I, th- I think the Orange Cassidy <laughs> match that was like less than 10 minutes and for what it was fun fun match and I think that's Jeremy says bit of a bad spot to be in when you follow that great opener um, I think going into it and Josh says it I think going into it on paper it probably looked like the best pay-per-view they had but coming out of it I wouldn't say it was, but that's not to say it wasn't like a really, really, really good show. It's too long. Some and, of the, yep. Like, you know, I, I'm of the opinion, personally, you shouldn't be doing more than one pay-per-view over three hours a year. I think it's fine if you want to do your big super show. We don't even know which one's the big super show, but if you want to do a big super show that's, you know, four hours, three and a half, whatever, that's cool. Even five if you really want to push the envelope. But uh, they're regular. I mean, they were shortening up these pay-per-views, but for a while they were doing three, you know, or like four hours, which is what this was. And every time I think almost every time that they've done four hours, there's just there's too much time and too many misses where if they 
I know you want to get everybody on the pay-per-view and give everybody opportunities and, you know, but it, that's the problem. The show was too long and that's why some of these matches dragged. Yeah, they, they need to tighten up the pay-per-view uh, timing there. And I think, too, they need to be a part of just re-educating fans because I feel like we've kind of gotten into this mindset like, oh, you know, big pay-per-views, everybody has to have 30 minutes for their match. We have to have eight 30-minute matches. Nope. And it's like, no, we don't need that. You could have a match that's 10, 15 minutes, um, and it still be you know a great match. We, we talked about Omega Hangman. That match went about 15, 16 minutes. Still a great matchup. They didn't need you know, to go 30, 45 minutes. And so I think they kind of need to think about restructuring the pay reviews and maybe cutting down on the match time and tightening things up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that was quite a, an in-depth full gear review there. But now this is the reason why we've got our Floridian friends on. <laughs> So, for anyone who's not listened for a while, Ricky and I are planning to do a sort of March Madness type thing where we've taken, we're going to collate 64 wrestlers and pit them against each other in a March Madness style bracket and those episodes will be released probably now that we're needing the time. There can be some Christmas specials for you all to sit and laugh at our hot takes about who's going to beat who. We have, Ricky, I need to ask you about something in particular. We've got 42 names so far, but I believe you were wanting to get one or two more stardoms. You wanted to remove AJ Lee. Oh, I forgot all about that. Right, so I asked James if he can give me um, two names Mm -hmm. from stardom, Joshi Wrestling, whatever he wants, and he says, I've got three names. I was like, oh, give me all three. So I thought I would present the three in between the four of us if we wanted to kick off AJ Lee because that's who you didn't want on the list. Shouldn't be on. Fine by me. So, so the three James gave me were... Let me pull up the conversation. Right, so we've got Arisa Nakajima. Yes, 100%. Yep. So, Satomura. Yep. Yeah, Mako, yep. We've yep. got her on. And Takahashi. Nene Takahashi. And then, so yeah, and then, if yeah. we I can't put speak all three Jeremy. and took out AJ Lee. We already have Satomura on. You do. Did we? Yep. Yes. Oh, she was... Oh, did we take her on? You put when her did on this episode. The one with Rance, like, I was really ensured that she was on. Yeah. I was listening to that on the way over here, you guys. I was screaming in my car. You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you do have Miko on there, and she's well-deserved. I didn't realize we put her on. Right, so we've got two then. So we can remove AJ Lee and think of one more WWE one, or we can let these guys have an additional, additional New Japan pick. I'm happy to go for, for um, Blackjack here, 21. That gives us 21 spaces for the New Japan. Well, okay. I, I can think of one other person that I, I'm going to try and slide in here if we're going to have one slide. Extra, if we're going to have one extra spot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one extra New Japan person? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. That's fine. Right, so, gents, the, the floor is yours. Uh, things got partially heated on a message back and forth last night, and... These guys are much more knowledgeable and well-versed when it comes to New Japan. So, 
We've got 21 names. We, to... we already know about six or seven of the names. Like we just should, we should just rattle them off straight away because we know several of them. There's not going to be any debate about. Right, we'll hold on till I put the numbers in. <laughs> Shout out to Google Docs once again because they're making my Christmas shopping a lot easier this year. Thank you. <laughs> right, go for it. So, who are the ones that are dead set? So, like, obviously, again? I would say Jeremy and Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say just looking at the list, Josh has presented Tanahashi, Okada, Osprey, Ibushi, Naito. We've got five, I'm looking through. Ishii, Jay White, there's seven. Hold on. Shabbat, Shabbat on the list. Yes, yes. he is. Yeah. So there's eight. Right. Sorry. I've only I've only typed three. <laughs> right. I feel like I feel like it's cheating because I gave you guys a list way ahead of time thinking I might not be on the show and you know, it's not as compelling audio as what you guys have done with some of the other brackets. You I think, but I think, I think those first like half dozen names, I think they were all going to be pretty damn obvious. And I think after that, where it might have got a little interesting, and that's where we'll just let you guys speak. And if we've got anything to say, we'll add into it. So I've I've got Tanahashi, Osprey, Okada, Shibata, White, Ibushi. Ibushi. Yeah, I've got I've got Okada. Ibushi. Got Naito. Naito. Now, Jeremy, do you disagree with any of them? No, I mean, I think, yeah, those are those are all locks. Right, Here's so. the thing. I, I took my list to Jeremy, and I was like, it did get hard at the end, kind of like narrowing a couple of them down, but we kind of narrow them down together. So, like, I doubt we're going to fight too much about any of these. I mean, the only thing that would have made this list hard was if we were still including people that aren't in New Japan anymore, like your Prince Devitts, like your Kenny Omegas, like not you know Nakamura, but because those guys are gone and it's literally limited to just the people currently in the company, it mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier, honestly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fair enough. The other the other big difference I've noticed with our list versus some of the other lists that you guys have, because New Japan is such an in ring centric product. Yes, the guys we're picking are based off their accolades and stuff, but it's mainly just based off how good they've been over the past decade in the ring. So it's really, I mean, this is a pretty definitive list. It's going to be really hard for you to convince me any of these guys don't deserve to be on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I already have an idea of what like, Final Four is going to look like, like, providing they avoid each other in each round. And I think I say oh, that actual... early on, that it's gonna be I'm going to say this, and I think Josh, I, I think Josh may agree with me here that every single matchup that Brock Lesnar is in, Ugh. I'm going to find myself kind of rooting for Brock and being like, no, 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 let's take a step back. We hate him, but let's look what he's done, etc., etc. <laughs> and I can't believe I'm going to be a fanboy for Brock. <laughs> I'm I'm always a fanboy for Brock Lesnar. Like it, he's my dream opponent for literally almost everybody. 
So are the brackets going to be split up? Are they, are they starting out in like their own region first and working their way out, or are they, it's going to be completely like randomized? I don't even know if we've figured that out. But no, like, you'd, you know, you'd like, say you were we going get, to use a randomizer, randomizer yeah, on your randomizer. The, the, problem, yeah. the problem with that, like round one, can give you like Okada versus Omega. You're like, oh, great. oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's, what ha- that's what happens. If that's what happens, that's what happens. You know. Yeah. That'll be an entire podcast dedicated just to that matchup. This could be a, a ten-part series. You could do it the real March Madness way and rate, you know, give them their rankings and then do one against sixteen and all that. But I like the ran- I like the chaos. Do it. Ran- <laughs> I like ran- the chaos. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll be. I'll be when it, uh, Ricky can do the randomizer, and I'll just be biased all the way through it. <laughs> I, I did one of these in my own spare time. This is how nerdy I am. One time, I did a, a whole entire uh, like bracket with all the WWF World Champions, and like my final was like Andre the Giant against like Bill Goldberg. Because <laughs> <laughs> they beat everybody. It's pretty simple. <laughs> That's must see. Right. So who else have we got then? That you're both comfortable with. Well, Hiromu. Yep. Okay. Liger. Mm, now that we gotta speak to that for a second. A lot of people are probably like Liger. He just retired, but like, you look at Liger over the past decade. No, he wasn't in his prime, but like, find me a more compelling, more consistent junior, you know, figure in New Japan. I mean, the guy was in his like late 40s and 50s and rattling off four-star matches every year throughout the decade. Now, he wasn't having five-star matches like a lot of other juniors, but he's just the best ever. He's the best junior heavyweight ever, and he was still like he could... Last year, he was still having bangers. Yeah. It was crazy. And just so well-traveled. I mean, the guy, you know, matches in Ring of Honor, NXT, uh, Europe, Mexico, all literally all over the place like Liger's oh, and all over Japan too yeah, yeah he's worse than other promotions in Japan like literally like probably one of the most traveled guys in the promotion wrestling a wide variety and having great matches all across the world yeah Liger's the fucking man and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong but didn't WWE address his retirement and it's not like they do that for anyone yeah. out with like their own company right yeah he's the man so we got Liger on there. Do you need more time? <laughs> it's okay. It's only five letters. I've, I've got that. Uh, well, we got Katsuyori Shibata. Yep. Got, is that is that the head injury Shibata? Yes, or is it a different nope. one? Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. I've got him. Got him. Awesome. Uh, well, ZSJ. Zack Saber Junior. <laughs> I've happily just listened to him talk about Boris Johnson all day, to be honest with you. You know, and when we did this list, I wasn't really taking into account at all what these guys had done outside. But listening to the other podcasts you guys have done, it seems like based on the fact that a lot of people are well-traveled, you guys are kind of taking some of that into account. When you look at Zack Sabre, PWG champion, Evolve champion, Rev Pro champion, Finalist in the Cruiserweight Classic, huge Pan Cup winner. Oh, he's had a Literally. really, really good career. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and his, his, run, his run in New Japan has been really good coming in in that New Japan Cup, beating, you know, Tanahashi, Naito, Sonata, all these aces to win the New Japan Cup. Give, uh, give me a big name he hasn't beaten. 
Yeah, he's pretty much beaten them all. Well, I think Jay White's the only guy he hasn't beat. He's beat Okada. He's beat Tanahashi. Sonata. He never got to beat Omega. <laughs> <laughs> but he's beat everybody. He beat Ibushi. Yeah, many times. And that's the other thing. He's beaten a lot of these guys multiple times. That's the other crazy thing. So right. He's a fucking man. Who's next? Um, Yuji Nagata. Yeah, Yuji Nagata from WCW. From WCW. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even just this past year, he had one of the like craziest feuds I'd seen all year against Minoru Suzuki. And he's in his 50s, and he still can just go. And, I mean, he's done a lot this decade. I mean, his... Like, his feuds with, like, Shibata's feud with Tanahashi. I mean, he still held the IWGP championship in this decade. So, absolutely. Like, Nagata was the last ace before Tanahashi. Yeah. Company. And I don't think Nagata gets the credit he deserves because he was wrestling kind of during that dark age. He's wrestling during Enoki-ism. So, you know, people don't really look back fondly on those dark ages time. People were really watching a lot of it. So people don't really know, like, how great Nagata was and the great matches and feuds he was having um, and kind of being, you know, carrying the company pretty much during that dark period until Tanahashi came around to really elevate it out of the dark, dark ages. Mm-hmm. And... During his retirement G1, he was arguably the MVP of the G1 where he retired, and he lost every match except for the last one. He, like, was going out there every night in his 50s, or I don't even know. He was probably in his late 40s, but maybe. Well, he's 52 right now. So he's probably in his late 40s at the time. Yeah. And having over four-star matches every single night with guys that were, you know, 15, 20 years younger than him is crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would I be able to pause at one? Go for it. Oh. Uh, Minoru Suzuki? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. The king. I mean, Suzuki's yeah. another guy, another 52-year-old guy, storied career all throughout Japan, several runs in New Japan. Um, even if you look at his recent work, it's all stuff he's done with the, the Never title and Liam Suzuki, you know, Wars of Ishii and Abushi recently, Shingo, uh, the, the big title matches with guys like Okada, views of Tanahashi, um, yeah, Suzuki is incredible. Yeah, he's having one of the best years of his career right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably, historically speaking, I can't think of any 52-year-old wrestler that's ever been in contention for Wrestler of the Year. And he is literally an actual live contender for mm-hmm. being the Wrestler of the Year this year. Uh, his work in Noah, when him and Suzuki-Goon uh, took their like brief hiatus over to Noah, they popped business he had incredible matches with guys down there. Um, I mean, I'm, I don't think he's held the, the triple crown championship this decade. He might have. Actually, he might have. But he definitely held the GHC world title this decade. Plus, he was the IC champ. Never champ. The never champ. Like, he's very decorated. I mean, yeah. It's Suzuki. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's the reason enough. Ricky, have you got any you're thinking without without cheating and looking at Joshua's list? <laughs> um, tell me who we've got so far. Okay. Uh, Tanahashi, Osprey, Okada, Shibata, White, Ibushi, Naito, Takahashi, Liger, Sabre, Yuji Nagata and Minoru Suzuki. 
took the good ones. <laughs> There's one I can think of. Um, I can think of one that's not on there that Ricky's going to be kicking himself if he doesn't say. Sonata? You can throw him on there, but I was... There's someone... Think back to the G1 that you watched. Oh, and yeah. and, and your awesome. favorite Mox match. Yep. Come on, Ricky. It's not even quiz time. <laughs> that was last year. Fuck. Can I just put you <laughs> out of your misery? Ishimori. <laughs> I, I thought he was going to say it. Ishii, bro. Ishii. Oh, yes. Don't pitbull. Even I knew that one, Ricky. <laughs> I shouldn't. It's like the quiz when I get put on the spot. Like, I don't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rich is going to listen to this and he's going to be screaming it down <laughs> his bloody headphones. He'll, he'll just be screaming. He'll be screaming because Jay White's in the list. <laughs> To, to give you to give you credit, you actually said Ishii earlier when we were like running down the names, but we just said them too fast for for Clive to like get them all listed. See, I was I was nice and relaxed at that point. <laughs> yeah, you didn't Thank, thanks, thankfully, I'm thankfully I'm doing the quiz tonight. I'm not involved in it. And we've got the the reigning RNC champ as well. Wait, wait, wait. Am, I, am I getting a title match? Defending no, his title no, in a triple threat? Nobody said that. Nobody said that. That's a... Well, if Josh wishes def- to defend the crown tonight, then... I, I feel like it should be a title match. Why, oh. why are you guys like, trying to work me into an angle right now? <laughs> <laughs> this is some Vince McMahon booking right here. <laughs> Rewriting the, the book at half past seven p.m. <laughs> but uh, obviously Ishii's got to be on there. Right. Yeah. Like, like, you know, we could list his accolades, but here's the thing about him. Maybe the greatest wrestler of the decade. And that's not hyperbole. And he doesn't get the credit for it. And it's true. He might literally be the best wrestler in New Japan or in the world. And it's been that way for like seven years now. Yeah, guy's incredible. And Ricky can't remember him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But just to be like, fair to Ricky, he did say his name earlier on, <laughs> and assumed assumed you'd wrote his name down. Plus, you're not the only one who buckles under pressure, because I'm pretty sure a certain young boy was pretty bad with the the theme tunes last time he was on. Oh yeah, remember when we heard the coin drop, and I was like, <laughs> Naito. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> oh. So I don't, I don't be listening to themes. I'd just be watching the graps. We've got eight left. It's starting to get to the whittling down stage. Well, I think another name we can throw out there is Dragon Lee slash Ryu Lee. Easily. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, one of the top guys they've brought in from Mexico uh, from their CMLL relationship, a guy who's had a feud with Hiromu that's kind of been seen in CMLL, New Japan, Ring of Honor. They've kind of taken this feud all over the place. Just one of the top performers, best super juniors, pretty much any time they bring him in, he's having excellent matches. Um, definitely been a standout in the last decade. Mm-hmm. Did Ryu Lee win the junior title? He did. Yeah, so, I mean, he was even junior champion. Um, 
I mean, you look at his matches with Ishimori. Obviously, the, literally, his legendary feud with Hiromu is like Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask level across three continents in multi, you know, in multiple companies. Um, not only just those matches, but like matches with guys like Kushida, Marty Skrull. I mean, yeah, Dragon Lee's the man. Like I, the the one of the biggest regrets this year was that COVID kept him out of the country. Right. Um, but yeah. And then if you factor in the work he's done in Ring of Honor as well as CMLL, which are sister promotions to New Japan, and factored into the kayfabe of the company, I mean, yeah, it, it, he's a slam dunk. Okay, Doak. Any more slam dunks? Goto. Okay. G O T. Now we're down to one, there's six left. And then we've got the full 64. Another name to throw out there, Risuke Taguchi. How do you spell that one? Uh, so the last name Taguchi is T-A-G-U-C-H-I. Okay. I'll, I'll correct the spelling and stuff after the fact. Because <laughs> I'm sure I've got a few of these wrong. I'm looking forward to seeing who Jeremy wants to slide in at the end. Yeah, I don't know who it is. <laughs> I feel like it's ELP, and it's gonna make me mad. No, it's not. Uh, it's not ELP. I'm gonna throw a name on there that's super unexpected, but if you've watched this company for the past decade, you, you won't be that surprised. Tomoaki Hanma. Hanma, right? And he returned post injury, and he's literally like never been the same after his injury. The fact that he's wrestling is a miracle, but before his injury. He was the hottest guy in the company. He was literally New Japan's Daniel Bryan, um, right. like the underdog of all underdogs in the company. That's high yeah, praise. Have some great matches. That's high praise indeed. Jeremy, have you got any more before your your secret weapon? So I know Ricky had threw out Sonata. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's somebody that can be on there. I would agree. Okay. I, f- I don't feel as strong. Sonata was the last guy I listed on my list because I don't feel as strong about him. He's kind of squeaks in, but I would agree, generally speaking, because you look at how many um, great G1 matches he's had, it's kind of hard to deny him, plus his runs through New Japan Cups. But And then and then you look at Tag League, too, and, like, yeah, he does deserve to be on there. Okay. Shingo Takagi. Yep. Shingo. The Dragon. Now, he hasn't been in the company quite as long as many of these other names. Uh, he's only, what, coming up on two years, I guess? Yeah. But in, in those two years, one of the best people in the company, one of the biggest, fastest rising stars, match of the year last year. And then if you did couple in the work he did in Dragon Gate, where he was the big bad boss for so many years there, plus the work he did on the indies in the early part of the decade, plus his running. PWG last year <clears throat> plus his run through the Champions Carnival two years ago I mean Shingo's an all-timer yeah I mean hands mm-hmm. down yeah Shingo's got to be on there okay, now obviously you're going to have evil on right that's a, that's a given <laughs> <laughs> evil, evil will not be on this list the worst Everything 64 is not evil. <laughs> two left uh, gentlemen only two spots left. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so one name, uh, Taiji Ishimori, the Bone Soldier. Absolutely. So we're down to Jeremy's sliding someone in. All right. So oh, the, the one the guy. Smile on his okay, face. So what about before Jeremy gives a name? But I know this one will probably be shot down. What about Tai Chi? That's a pretty good name, and yeah. that's someone we actually considered when we thought we only had 20, 20 names listed. Yeah, Tai Chi is definitely a guy you can consider, especially with his kind of elevation through the ranks of Suzuki Goon and starting off as a junior, going into heavyweight, winning the Never Title. And right now he's kind of at his peak, having some really great matches. But he's also had – it's hard with him because he's had so many, so many bad matches. And it's not because he couldn't go. It's because he chose to, to actively wrestle poorly as part of his gimmick for so many years. I do find it really hard to, like, include him. Like, he's had two or three great years, but he had, like, seven horrible years with, like – an occasional banger once a year. It was terrible. That's quite weird against them. That's a fucking, <laughs> that's a great gimmick. I'm going to come out, get paid, and just wrestle like shit. So I'm, I'm waiting for Jeremy to throw his out there because I'm actually looking through the roster myself just to be like, who is he going to say? Oh, I know who he's going to say. <laughs> and, and I'm going to shoot it down because it, he, he can't get in, honestly. But go ahead, Jeremy. I know who you're going to say now. So the one name that I, I'm trying to try and slide in here is my man, the leader of the bread club, <laughs> Satoshi Kojima. No. This this man was the IWGP champion. In, in 2010. The, right. At the beginning of in the 2010. De- the beginning of the decade. Had a great rivalry with um, Tanahashi. No. In 2010. And then, and then that was it for him. That's, yeah. the, that's it. That This man was a part of the great team of Tenkoji. Yeah, uh, they were done. This man was have, still still having great matches. This man had a great match with Shingo last year. Uh, no, you know. it's, it's so weak. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weak. Well, uh, do you, uh, this this is... man was championing for the NWA title <laughs> against Rob Conway. Wrestle oh, Kingdom 8. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Oh my god. That sounds like a, a random match generator on a computer game. <laughs> no, it, I'm sorry. I, I love the guy, but if we're if we're going strictly off the past decade, like do I think he's a Hall of Famer? I absolutely do. But not based off the 2010s. Like this guy cannot no, absolutely not. Dissension within the ranks here. I I'll tell you the one name I would I would like probably throw out there because if, if, if we're going to include one last name, it's probably Rocky Romero. Mm. Either that or Juice Robinson. Now, have you had Ko- uh, Kojima on your podcast before? No. Oh, he speaks no. Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> There's your, does that not answer your question then? Because you've had Romero on. That, that, that's true. Uh, Rocky's been on the Ace of Podcasts. Rocky has been in the DMs. Uh, Here's the thing with Rocky. Rocky's had very not like the majority of his run is based off of his work in tag teams, but they were fantastic tag teams, and he's like held gold for so long. During right, the- one of the best junior tag team wrestlers between his team with Trent Barretta as Rocky um, Vice. I, I sorry, cut you off. I know that could be kind of cheating, but is that a name you would consider, uh, Trent Barretta? 
Well, I know he's guys... he signed with AEW, but... I would not consider him, yeah. but you guys told us they had to be in the yep. company. Yep. yep. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd, I'd be grabbing Kenny Omega. I'd be grabbing... <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Nakamura. <laughs> uh, I'd be grabbing Kushida, because I'm sure he's not on your guys' list, and he probably needs to be on this list. He's not... Um... I was actually thinking about that about 15 minutes ago. Ricochet. <laughs> um, but the other the other name I could probably throw in there, aside from Rocky Romero, personally speaking, is Juice Robinson. Although it, it's an inconsistent thing. Like, yeah, I, I would. He, he has high highs, and then he also has some mediocre lows. I would rather take Rocky over oh. Juice. I think Rock, Rocky's had a great decade. You look at the stuff with Trent. Uh, Rapungi Vice, um, Forever Hooligans, um, Mega Coaches. Um, I think it was one. Um, well, he, even like last year's run through the Super Junior. Right. Yeah, that was great. He like proved that he can still go as a singles guy on that level. And even this year, um, his singles run in America, like Rocky, is really fantastic. I would okay. throw Rocky Romero in there. Yeah. Well, if you both are happy with that, then we can. I'll put Romero in. And we now have the 64 names. If you want me to run Obviously through them all. He's, he's been involved in talking shop mania as well. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we've got the 64 names. I'll very quickly run through them. And then over the next few weeks, Ricky and I will devise a plan for getting these recorded, how we're going to do it and all that stuff. So according to... A panel of experts, the 64 best wrestlers or groups in the world today are Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Nakajima replacing AJ Lee, Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks, Bailey, Asuka, The Usos, New Day, CM Punk, Brock Lesnar, Finn Balor, Paige, Owen, Kevin Owens, Champa, Gargano, Cole, Nakamura, John Cena, Io Shirai, Jericho, John Moxley, Kenny Omega, Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes, Nick Aldis, Matt Hardy, Tessa Blanchard, Gail Kim, FTR, Pentagon, Zero Dark Thirty, uh, Rush, Chris Hero, Austin Aries, Miko Satomura, Kairi Sane, Mayu Iwatani, Chris Daniels, Jay Lethal, Ni- uh, something Takahashi, Nini, was it? Nene. Nene. Tanahashi, Osprey, Okada, Shibata, White, Ibushi, Naito, Takahashi, Liger, Zack Sabre Jr., Nagata, Suzuki, Ishii, Dragon Lee, Goto, Taguchi, Honma, Sonada, Takagi, Ishimori, and Rocky Romero. Another RR alliteration, alliteration wrestler. There's so many of them out there. You guys you guys don't have Io Shirai on there? Uh-huh, yeah. I thought we did. We do. Oh, okay. He said okay. yeah. She's there just before Jericho. And Matt Riddle's not on there and Ricochet? That's <laughs> crazy. That's I guess Matt, Matt, the issue I suppose with Ricochet would be that dude's been irrelevant for the last, what, like three years? There is recency bias there. Is it? But it's really only like one to two years. And if you look at the whole decade, there's no fucking way. <laughs> there's no way. It is tough. It, you know what? It is tough because I think part of – and obviously this is just a fun thing that, that you guys are doing and I think it's awesome. 
But it's tough because there's some guys that like made the majority of their name on the indies that are now in WWE. And when you're doing the best guys in WWE, how much of that outside stuff factors into it? Right. And then vice versa. You know, there's some guys that are on the indies now that were in WWE. So it's, it, it is difficult. Yeah. But like Matt Riddle, like fucking ruled the indies for like three or four years. And so and Ricochet, like ruled the world before he got to New Japan or before he got to WWE. I mean, I never thought of Riddle because I also didn't want to put Tessa Blanchard on because she's a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't put Tessa in there because I don't think she's as good as everyone thinks she is. I, I didn't want her. I was outvoted that day. <laughs> <laughs> but this is going to be awesome. So what are you guys going to do? So, like, once you randomize it... We were hoping you could help us uh, tell us how to do it. Oh, uh, we'll need three people. I thought, you, are you guys going to just like put it to a vote? Like, is it, I think you should do it like a shoot. Who would win the fight? So it'll be like Io Shirai against Brock Lesnar. Who wins this fight? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't really know. I think, I suppose there would be a bit of kayfabe in there, but at the same time, like, I think you would factor in quality of matches, uh-huh. um, like kind of how long they've been, like, how long they've been doing it so like you know if you're looking at someone say like CM Punk there's only wrestled like the first few years of the decade up against someone who let's just say like say Seth Rollins for instance you might say Punk so you you know so you you could argue that Punk's peak was higher but Seth's been doing it longer but ever factor in titles and stuff and then factor in just I guess your own bias bias in the sense Mm -hmm. that well no this guy's by far a better wrestler than this person kind of thing. The idea was inspired by the New Day had done a March Madness of action films or movies or TV shows or something over a couple of episodes. So it was just three people so Ricky and myself and then someone else to make it a deciding vote. Uh, Work it that way. We don't know if we'll have the same person as the outsider no, I would like if we done it over like three or four episodes, you would get I think a different person for each show, if possible. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I would when you guys said Seth Rollins, CM Punk, I just went eyeball test for me personally. I was like, ah, oh, Punk beats him, like obviously. <laughs> but then Ricky started talking, and I was like, oh, that's pretty actually a pretty compelling argument. Maybe Seth Rollins does have this shit. So I think you guys are gonna have really good audio. Yeah. When you, when you have these these matchups, and I think you guys should. De- if if I'm voting, I say randomize it. Yeah, I'll re- randomize it. That way we well, can end up yeah. with like, uh, you know, some... Miko Samoa against Tomohiro Ishii. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen. It could. <laughs> that would be raw. Yeah, I mean, that, you know how good that meant. I don't even like uh, intergender wrestling, but I bet you like that'd be a five star match. I'd I, I'd spend so much money to see that match. Yeah, that that'd be incredible. <laughs> I quite like so to I'll see. Need to, I'll, need to, I'll need to populate this and. Oh, Walter's not in this shit. Oh yeah, no Walter. How the fuck? <laughs> I thought. I thought we did. You know what's the hard part? Though? I don't. I don't even think we factored NXT UK into it. The, the, yeah, and you guys are from the UK. No, Tyler B. Yeah, fucking, we yeah, hate, no Pete, we hate, we hate, we hate NXT. Uh, NXT UK is dead to us. I, I was, I was forced to watch that match the other week. Um, Walter, Walter and Dragunov uh, because Josh messaged, I'm like, shit, I need to fucking watch this now. 
See, and and, and and it's like one of the best matches you ever seen in your life, oh, right? Oh, fucking <laughs> hell! If if we did this last year, I would have just been saying Joe Coffey for every round. But now his name just doesn't exist. He is he is redacted. <laughs> to the point, a funny story. Like now you mentioned him, and we mentioned John Cena earlier on. My six year old just started watching a bit of wrestling. So I got him these wrestling cards and he got Joe Coffey in it. And he asked, and he was asking, like, is it, he's a good guy, is he a bad guy? And I was like, good, bad, good, bad. Got to Joe Coffey and I was like, you can put that in the bin. And he looked at me and he goes, why? And he was like, he's not nice. He's a very, very bad person. He's like, oh, but is he a good person in real life? Like, no, no, no. I mean, he's a bad person in real life. Put him in the bin. So then he gets to John Cena and it says, and this is where I wish I was this ignorant about wrestling again. On Cena's card, it says, never give up. So he looks at it and goes, John Cena, never give up. So does that mean, you know how you do, like, because I do wrestling moves to them, so I'll put them in, like, an ankle lock and I'll put them in, like, a sleeper hold. And he's like, so when you put me in, as he calls it, the leg lock, or you try to put me to sleep and you say, I need to give up, or I'm going to, otherwise I won't let go of the hold. So does that mean when he gets put in the ankle lock, he never gives up? I'm like, yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. it, but it. It got me thinking. It got me thinking. I was like, he's never tapped out, has he? No, he has. I can has tell he? you all. The time. Yep. Uh, but they were all before his main event run. So he's tapped out to Kurt right. Angle. He's, tra- he's tapped out to Chris Benoit, and he's tapped out to the Undertaker. Random one for him to tap out to. Well, under remember, Undertaker was was, doing it, the, was it Hell's Gate? No, I think it. I, I'm pretty sure it was a triangle choke before he started using the Hell's Gate. Right. right. So when he was still American badass and they were doing that whole feud um, in like 02 or 03 whenever mm-hmm. Cena was first on SmackDown. That yeah. one might not even actually be a real match. It might have been like a segment leading to the match. I could be wrong on that one, but the first two for sure, he tapped out to Benoit to Angle in real matches. Um, you know, the tough thing is for you guys with this thing, you could have literally done 64 spots just done wwe like the entire expansiveness including nxt and uk and you would have filled all your bracket because that's how much talent is literally there right now i think that would have been easier but for me also slightly more boring because i've like for me at times it's a struggle to watch wrestling um but now for a number of these names for the next two or three weeks you just kind of need to binge watch a lot of matches especially from earlier on in the decade and if it was just WWE only I wouldn't have had to do that so I guess it's kind of win-win um, we get on with you guys with Grants is on etc and you get to go back and watch some of these matches you've not saw in a while or you probably haven't saw so it's like a bit of doing a bit of research mm-hmm. well like because when you guys were doing the episode on the indies and AEW most of the names from this decade are all there. You know, Trevor yeah. Lee's there, Keith Lee's there, mm-hmm. Walter's there, and and so Matt Riddle, all of the guys in Undisputed Era, Rick J, like <laughs> Johnny Gargano, who isn't even in this thing, which is crazy. Like I thought they said Gargano. Oh, did they? My bad. Okay, I, 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 they said they better said Gargano. <laughs> but uh, that's just the point I'm saying. Like, there's so many guys there that like. It, it was you were someone was gonna get left out eventually. Uh, the, the list is far from perfect, I, I will admit that. It's just, I'll, oh no, I love the list you guys have. I can't wait to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Mate, just use a, a roll the dice to make the make it a D&D campaign and uh, <laughs> see who goes through the rounds. 
But that's us. We'll get that sorted, Ricky, with some guidance from somewhere. The Lord above, I don't know. We'll see. Right, quiz time then. Oh, we're doing this. Yep. <laughs> Since you're here live and... Before, before we get into the quiz, is the title on the line? How, Look, that, no, that's what I want to know. This man hasn't defended the belt in what, like two years? <laughs> How, what, what's the ruling on the Ricky and Clyde? What's, what's the, we the committee? I won, I won the title last year. I okay. think if we are going to do a title defense, the next person up should be Rance. How could okay, they? Okay, fine. We're, we're doing a, a we're doing a exhibition level quiz. This is not a full length quiz the way that the quiz time quiz is happening. All I'm gonna say is if if I win tonight, I should be in contention for the title. I agree. So it might need to come down to Rance and Jeremy have to face off in our number one contender match. No, no, I'll, I'll let Rance get his, his rematch with Josh. That, I mean, that, that was the finals. He he should be the, get a rematch. I mean, y'all want to do a triple threat? I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I you don't even know the subject yet. <laughs> it, may, it may be New Japan entrance music. So you never know. Guess who didn't know final subject? Rance. <laughs> <laughs> He, that's when you know the subject. Oh man! That's why he deserves a title shot because that He's final so that final question was just brutal from Ricky. Yeah, let let, let Rance get his one on one rematch title shot, and then if I win tonight, I will then challenge the winner of that match. Okay, I'm I'm fine with that. Caleb Caleb also wants a shot at the title. Bro, four way. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should do elimination I'm, rules. That would be amazing. Oh my god! Oh. Oh. And as soon as, as soon as as soon as one person's out the quiz, we like drop them from the call. <laughs> like be cutthroat. <laughs> Yo, that's get the fuck out of here. That's, that's so mean. <laughs> that's uh, so mean. No, no we should <laughs> though. I know, but imagine Caleb was out first. So how fucking out here? And then you Caleb, know, Caleb will not be out first. Have you no. seen him? Fuck. He fucks people up. He, I'm I'm more worried about him than Jeremy or Rance. <laughs> and like, I only beat Jeremy barely, barely, barely. Like, it was like one point I beat you by, basically. Yeah. But like, I have a feeling that Caleb's gonna come on here and brain man this shit and just like destroy everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair comparison, really. But that's not fair. <laughs> right. Well, so. Jeremy's future contention is on the line tonight. So, Ricky, what's the what's the um, subject? Well, since I was watching BT Sports earlier and it popped up, and I was like, "Oh, that could be interesting." Oh, world so sport to to nineteen seventies nineteen eighties world sport. And I put it in air quotes to commemorate the Undertaker, quote unquote, retiring. Yes. It's an Undertaker based quiz. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. I'm ready for this. I know my Undertaker. Right, so uh, we need puzzles. Clive, what was yours? Bombayet. Right. That was Josh. Jeremy? Let's see, what uh, what should my buzzer be? Enoki. Bombayet. Enoki. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. What's your. Um... Um... You know what? I'll, I'll go rest in peace. Or for the Undertaker. There we go. Someone done it. And I'll say this is my yard. No, <laughs> uh, no, no. I'll make you famous. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. 
<laughs> I'm gonna like, change mine to put some stank on it. <laughs> remember when, uh, remember when so cool. Stone Cold tried to get that over for like two weeks and then he dropped it. <laughs> okay, um, dog. Question number one. In his debut match, which was at Survivor Series, who did the elim- who did the Undertaker eliminate? Inoki Bombaye. Yep. Dusty Rhodes. Is that your final answer? Do you want all the people or like all the all the people Undertaker eliminated in that match? Ooh, uh, I don't know everybody. Dusty Rhodes. Uh, I think Coco Beware. And well, that's it. You've got the two right. It was only two people. Okay, yeah. I didn't think there was more, but I was like, oh, you didn't say anything, so I was like, oh, I was yeah. not the right backer. I don't know. <laughs> so, question number two. That's two points for Josh. Question number two. He beat the Undertaker. Beat who to win his first ever WWE slash no, World? Oh, fuck's sake. Yep. Paul Kogan. That's not what I've got. What? I've written down that piece of shit, but <laughs> you know, I guess it's Hulk Hogan, and I'll, you know, Josh gets the point. <laughs> I was like, no, it's Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> Question number three: The Undertaker has only won won one match via DQ at WrestleMania. You know, Who was this oh fuck's sake! <laughs> Giant Gonzalez at WrestleMania nine. Correct. Jeremy, Clive, feel free to join this quiz. Well, <laughs> some of us don't have Tourette's, you know. <laughs> Question number four. The Undertaker teamed with who at King of the Ring 2000 taking on Vince, Shane... I forgot my... Uh, I'll make you famous. Go ahead. I couldn't tell you who got there first. It was Brian. I, I heard him. Okay, it was Kane and The Rock. Correct. Question number five. In the build, in the build up to the elimination chamber at Armageddon, the Undertaker promised what? I'll make you famous. And yes. That's the answer. Yes, that is the answer. To make someone famous. There was a, little, just, a just, chamber just, match at Armageddon? There was. Uh, was it 0-1? Yeah. Uh, no. no, the six-way Hell in a Cell match. Was oh, it, oh, sorry, that's it, oh, sorry. Oh, my oh, God. No. If, oh, Rick. Damn, it was <laughs> Hell in a Cell where Rikishi went through it. Right. I was like, what? Uh, I, I, I thought he was talking about the one where, you know, on, what's his, where on fire? Uh, HBK came from, like, through the floor and everything. Right, that's what yeah. I was talking about. All right. Oh, be better, Ricky. Question number six. At the 2006 Royal Rumble, he returned and confronted who? Inoki Bambaye. Yes. It was uh, <laughs> Kane. Nope. I don't remember. Is it at 06 Royal Rumble? Uh-huh. Yes. Hmm. Rest in peace. Yep. Was it Kurt Angle? It was. Correct. Oh, dang. They came down in the, the chariot, didn't they? Yep. I was going to say Mordecai. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was after the Angle Mark Henry. That's match, right. right. They had That's that right. on after the Rumble match. That, that annoyed me. 
True or false? The Undertaker once held the greatest title in wrestling history. You know, keep on Yes. It's true. It's true. The hardcore title. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, thought people, I thought people would have got that. Jeremy, Jeremy was thinking, he never held the IWGP. <laughs> <laughs> he was never NWA. <laughs> uh, it was Ricky asking. I knew exactly what it was. Question number eight. How many single titles has he won during his WWE slash WWF career? Inoki Bombay. Yes. Seven. That's incorrect. Oof. How many singles titles altogether? Yep. I'll make you famous. Yep. Eight. Correct. Dang. Because the seven, seven, the hardcore. Seven versions of the world title and, of course, the, the hardcore, hardcore title. title. True or false? Fuck, I just gave the answer away. He has held the Intercontinental or the US title at Press least once. Yep. False. It's false. There we go. That's just, that was a good <laughs> question yeah, to follow up with. I know, I realised that once, especially after I fucking named the titles that he'd won. <laughs> so, right. Classic Ricky. The final question is worth five points, so oh, everyone can win. Go. And I need it in order. Do we text it to you? Or just say it? Um, no, first person buzzes in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Name his first five opponents of the streak. Inoki Bombay. Yep. It has to be in order? Yep, so from first to fifth. Okay. Um, the first one was Jimmy Superfly Snuka. The next one after that was Jake Roberts. That was WrestleMania 7, then 8. The next one was John Gonzalez. He didn't have an opponent at WrestleMania 10. The next one was um, King Kong Bundy. And then the next one was Diesel. Five points for Josh, the reigning champion. Ooh. Josh wow. takes it, defends his crown. Jimmy is devastated. Listen, Jeremy, I got, I got mopped up, man. Here's the thing about Jeremy: I barely beat Jeremy in the qualifying round. That was the toughest match of the entire tournament. By so, what that means is, it's just going to be a singles match between. Rance and Joshua unless we do this Fatal 4-Way elimination style quiz at some point soon I think the, the elimination one would be great just purely because I'd love to kick someone off the call <laughs> see, see more than anything see if Rance Jeremy or Josh go out first then I wouldn't I don't want to kick them I just want to kick Caleb off the call <laughs> do, you know, do, you know how, do you know how angry whoever gets kicked off the call would actually I know I, I love this idea I think we should absolutely do it. I'm totally down for it. Like, not even tell them that, sorry, you have been eliminated. <laughs> and then they keep trying to call back in. I think something happened. <laughs> you are the weakest link. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, I'm so for it. Well, gentlemen, thanks very much for coming on tonight. That ended up a long but very good conversation about all things wrestling. Thanks for coming on. 
No problem. Thanks for having us. You want to plug your stuff? Is this because you're afraid you're going to butcher it? I, if, if Jeremy <laughs> handles his half, I'll do the other part uh, badly, but I'll still do it. Like Clive mentioned, uh, we host Keeping a Strong Style right here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, the ace of podcasts. We cover New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, find our show every Tuesday right here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This week we were reviewing Power Struggle, uh, previewing Best Super Juniors World Tag League. We had our friend Karen on the show. Um, who's very fluent in Japanese and has a lot of great translations of uh, Japanese promos and interviews and stuff like that. Follow her on Twitter at Hey Karen Sensei. Uh, you can follow the show on, on Twitter at Ki Strong Style. And yeah, that's keeping a strong style. Other podcasts that are on the Social Suplex Podcast Network are One Nation Radio, Grown Men Watch This Shit, Great Match Generator, All Things Elite. Grave Consequences and 8-Bit Suplex. You can get those podcasts and columns that we do sent directly to your email inbox if you go to socialsuplex.com and press subscribe. On the show notes part of your podcast on your phone, you'll see links to either donate to us or the Social Suplex podcast network as a whole. There's links to the t-shirts that we'd have at prowrestlingtees.net. Just type in Social Suplex at the shop and that'll take you to the page. Um... Wrestling Square Circle. Oh, oh I, was so, I was doing so well. I was doing so <laughs> bloody well. Wrestling Square Circle is the name of the Facebook group we're at, and we are at Ricky and Clive. Not forgetting, of course, at Social Suplex, where you can keep up to date with everything that goes on. I, I did cover everything there, didn't I? Yes. Great. Yeah, I think you got it all. Considering I had the pressure on with Bossman J here, I think I did not too bad, apart from the Facebook <laughs> botch. Ricky, have you got anything you want to add? Nothing, just it was nice talking to the guys, as it always is. Yeah. The, I'd do it more often. The, yep. the, the real J&J security. <laughs> we appreciate you guys and the work you do here and uh, for having us on, and uh, I we can't wait to this 64 man bracket it's going to be yeah. awesome you won't be singing our praises when you're eliminated first from the quiz Joshua <laughs> I mean that would be based off of my own performance and so you know I know I'm going to do good so I'm not too worried about it well uh, well, do you know what let's just hope Caleb is the one eliminated first we can <laughs> we can phone him up just now just so you can hang up on him if you want <laughs> Clearly, I need to brush up on my my Undertaker, so hopefully that's not going to be the theme. Of the <laughs> Ricky, you haven't been in the group chat lately. I think you've you've missed the memo. Um, Muzza's the new Caleb. Oh, is he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's how he's wanting to come back in now to see what's going on. <laughs> he texts me at like half past two one morning. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing up? <laughs> Caleb, and it's like, like, and we're still recording. But Caleb texts me like four in the morning to start a conversation. I'm like, Caleb, I know it's ten o'clock over there, but it's four a.m. I'm sleeping, so then I'll text him in the morning, and then he texts again at stupid o'clock to continue this exact same conversation that's been going on for the last two or three days. Shout out to Caleb, great guy. <laughs> oh, I, I, I actually do love Caleb. we've we've put Caleb over too much (laughs) in the space of 10 seconds so that'll do for tonight thank you for listening and we'll speak to you all next week good night take care folks
Thank you for listening to the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Podcast. We'll see you next time.